Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. If you're looking at something that God's called you to do, spoken to you about, and it seems insurmountable to you, I, I can't ever see how I could do that. You're thinking wrong. You can't do it. Just go ahead and admit, God, I can't. But through Christ, we can do all things. Amen? I can't do it, but through him, with his help, I can do that. There are things that I could never do in my own strength. That's okay. You, you want to get to the point where you can admit that. When I got saved, I recognized that I, I can't stop drinking. I can't, but God helped me. Sometimes God asks us to do things that seem impossible. God asked Jonah to go to a place he hated. He asked Gideon to defeat an entire army with 300 people. He told Joshua to walk around a city to conquer it. But all of those stories end with God accomplishing his plan all along. And in today's message, Pastor Bill will remind you that when God asks you to do something you think is impossible for you, that's because it is. On your own, many things are impossible, but nothing is impossible for God. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. You see in Acts where there are people that God just said, go. Philip, leave this jamming ministry and go to the desert. Er, Philip's on his way to the desert. Philip, you see that chariot? Run and catch up with the chariot. And he's exerting himself and running and catching up with the chariot. He gets there and he shares with the Ethiopian eunuch and leads him to Christ and baptizes him in the puddle. And God does a miracle and catches him away. That was just immediate obedience. He didn't have time to run a check. He, Lord, that, that chariot? You want me to run? Are you going to send me a car? I mean, wait here and see if maybe God's going to send me a vehicle. He just started going. When God said go, he went. And that's how come he experienced the miraculous of the Lord. So I believe for us, too, we're going to experience the miraculous of the Lord. It's going to be people that trust him, people that are walking by faith, um, that God's in a position where he's got to show up. He has to work. Moving on now. Look at verse. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The end of verse 20. I want to point that out. He says, be of good courage and bring back some of the fruit. I just want to point out that throughout Scripture, no one that is not afraid is ever told to be of good courage. So whenever there's the phrase, be of good courage, it's because the people that it's spoken to are afraid. They're not of good courage. So the people are scared. That's why they want all these checks. That's why the whole group were like, well, instead of us going, let's just send a group. Let's send, pick a leader for me. Let's send some people to go for us. We don't all have to go yet. Let's make sure it's safe first. And that's, that's what they're essentially doing. Let's make sure it's okay. We want visual confirmation that it's safe and okay before we go. And they sent the leaders to go out and to get that confirmation for them. They're not, they're not of good courage. They're scared. Anybody here tonight scared, afraid, fearful of something God's told you to do? If that's you, this is what you could pray. Right? If you say, you know what, I, I, God's told me to do something, but I'm fearful. That's, that's, that's okay. It happens. You just don't want to be, you don't want fear to stop you. It's okay to feel fear, but it's wrong to let fear control you. Anybody that's ever done something great for God has been afraid at some point. But it's just you step over it anyway. You go anyway. Even though you, you do it even though you're afraid. You, you overcome the fear by faith and obedience. And so if you're afraid, that's okay. But if you find that fear is hindering you, that's not okay. And there's uh, in the Gospels, I believe it's, Mark, it's in Mark's Gospel, there was a guy with a demon-possessed son. And 
um, you know, he was convulsing and, and all these things. And he came to Jesus and Jesus said, if you believe anything is possible. And the guy said, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's a great prayer. He said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm not going to front. I do believe, but I know that in my belief, there's still some unbelief. I need help. Can you can while I'm believing, can you help me in my unbelief? The part of me that doesn't believe all the way. It was a prayer. Lord, would you help me with that? And if you find that, you know what? I believe I trust God, but I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this thing right here. Then you pray. God, help me. Help me with that. We serve a merciful God. He's so merciful. He's so understanding. He's so kind, but he does want us to grow and to get to these things. So moving on, look at verses, um, verses 21 through 24. It says, so they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness, wilderness of Zen as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, um, 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 Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So this is interesting here. As they, as they get going, they, they go on the mission. They get to the land and they go through the land like God told them. And the first thing it mentions in verse 22 they come across the descendants of Anak. Now, I want to break that down because uh, if we read over that, we might not understand what their issue was. So the descendants of Anak. First of all, the, the, the word Anak, it, 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 these are giants. If you look up the word, it means thick necks. Um, these were, there were giants in the land. Now, where did they come from? Um, you know, is, is, were they really giants in Bible time? If there were, where did they come from? So forth and so on. I don't want to do a whole study on it, but I do want to give, you know, I want to give some background. So in Genesis chapter six, there were a time and we went through Genesis here. There was a time where there were fallen angels. Uh, so the sons of God came and they they saw that the women, the women on, on the earth were 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 you know, good looking or whatever. And they went and they took him as wives and they had sex with him. And the result of them were something the Bible calls um, Nephilim. So these are, and the word Nephilim means fallen ones. That's, these are fallen angels, but the, the result was these, these giants. Um, God punished them. And this is, this is the trail uh, of it. Genesis six, that's when they did it. Um, Everything does ultimately get destroyed in the flood afterwards. I believe Jude 6 um, tells us what happened or what went wrong. It says that these, these fallen angels had left their proper abode and they were punished. So right now in the angelic realm, there's angels and demons. There's good angels, those that are with the Lord. There are a third of the angels that fell with Satan when he fell. And they're fallen angels. And so there we call them demons. They exist. They're doing what they do in the world. They're Satan's minions to do his work. Now, among the demons, there's a group that spoke of them in Jude. Jude is only one chapter. So Jude verse six, that God says those are 
are reserved in punishment. They've been, they've been already detained in hell. They're already being held up. They ain't free to roam and do the devil's biddings right now. And we believe that it's those fallen angels that came and had sex with the, the, with women on the earth or whatever. But all that to say, the descendants of Anak, they're giants in the land. It's believed that Goliath was a descendant of the Anak. Goliath was, at that time, they measured him. They did it by cubits. A cubit was an elbow to the tip of your middle finger. And if you added up the cubits, he was nine feet, six inches tall, Goliath was. And just think about that real quick. So we, I look at NBA, and I look at a guy that's seven foot, and that's a giant. I mean, would absolutely dwarf me. These guys were two feet taller, at least, than the tallest guys that we might we would have in, in the NBA. That Shaq would be looking up two feet or more at these guys. And so these are some big people. There was it was um, it was an actual thing. So I want you to imagine the children of Israel, and I don't know how big an average Israelite man was. I read in the manners and customs, they had it at about five nine. Um, so these weren't exceptionally tall men. I don't know, I can't verify that, but that's what I got. Um, but I just would say, you know. I think any it could be a big man. A, a guy that's nine foot plus is going to be terrifying. And if you went to a city and saw there was a city with a bunch of people like this, that would be kind of scary, especially if they weren't friendly. You know, if the, if, the, if God was saying, you're going to go take that land, but them the guys, you know, from them guys right here. And I was trying to think of, because I, I, I hate this kind of cast this super negative light on people that are messed up in the Bible. I was trying to think, God, what... What in our world is like this? And I, I, this is what I came up with. This is what I thought of. How many of you guys have ever seen, uh, there's a show that comes on for teenagers that have messed up. It's called Scared Straight. How many of you guys ever seen that? All right. If I can explain to you guys, you have some teenagers that are getting into legal trouble. They're messing up. They ain't in jail yet, but they're on a path that says they probably will, whether they're doing drugs or, you know, being promiscuous or breaking laws or hitting their parents. And they have this program set up where it's called Scared Straight, where they bring these students who are, they're young, they're in their, you know, early teens or whatever. They bring them to a full-blown prison and they pick out a few prisoners that are trying to get their community service works in and they give them the opportunity to, to, to really bark, yell, scream and be, you know, scare these kids and then they try to talk to them and reason with them a little bit. Um, but I, 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 it's, it's always, to me, I watch it. And you'll watch the kids before they get there when they're just among themselves. And they just as tough as nails. I mean, just, no, I don't care. I'm not going to no, no, mess with me. When I get there, you know, I'm not worried about nothing. You just watch these kids. It's like, that is a bad kid. And then you see that same kid with some some big old thugged out gangbanger with tattoos on his face looking crazy, breathing down their neck taking off their shoes, giving it to them, and it's like the fear is upon them. It's all over their face. And I, I watch that show, and I'm thinking, man, them kids are petrified. I mean, and I'm assuming from the show perspective, they, they've made sure these guys aren't going to beat them up or hurt them. But these kids don't know that, and they are there in terror. And it's probably a good thing for them. It's like, so, and they tell them, they say, so if you come here, you're going to be with me. And I want to go here. I want to go here. You know, they make them go say basari to their mamas and everything else. So when I look at the trip that they made and we're just going to observe the atmosphere and the enemy and everything else. Um, that's why I think it was a bad idea to go on a mission to I want to go see what we're up against. Because this is what's wrong with that way of thinking. Who was going to defeat whoever was in the land? Who was going to do it? 
God was going to do it. So when you go on a mission to see how do I, how do I stack up against them, you, never, you don't stack up, especially if it's something God called you. God always calls us to do more than we can do in and of ourselves. So when you start looking at it from the perspective of, I don't know if I can do that. You surely can't do it. That's God, God starts you off at the end of yourself so that you begin to look to him. And then whenever he does whatever he does through your life, you know it wasn't you. You know it was him. You give him all the glory for it. He gets all the credit and you continue to look to him. That's the way he sets the thing up. God always stretches us beyond what we could ever do. And says, now, but go anyway and watch what I'll do. David could never have beat Goliath. David was a cute little boy with no weapons but a sling. He couldn't have beat Goliath aside from the fact that the spirit of God was upon him. But the spirit of God was upon him and he beat him, right? So many times through scripture, God would set up Gideon. He can't beat that army with 300 guys, bro. That's not enough. But with 300 guys in the Lord, it's more than enough. And they did. They had the victory. Joshua, you guys can't take you know, uh, Jericho, it's, it's impregnable. Nobody can get in there. But with God, the walls fell down. They go in, they get a victory boom. And it's story after story after story like that in the scripture. So it, it wasn't a good idea to go and really study the enemy. And they went and they saw the descendants of Anak. And it's going to mess them up. You wait till they get back and tell people, man, I saw them. Oh, man. And they're going to they be having a fit over these giants that they saw in the land. So what can we take from that? Right. If you're looking at something that God's called you to do, spoken to you about, and it seems insurmountable to you, I, I can't ever see how I could do that. You're thinking wrong. You can't do it. Just go ahead and admit, God, I can't. But through Christ, we can do all things. Amen? I can't do it, but through him, with his help, I can do that. There are things that I could never do in my own strength. That's okay. You, you want to get to the point where you can admit that. When I got saved, I recognized that I, I can't stop drinking. I can't, but God helped me. So I never claimed that victory is mine. God gave me victory over alcohol. I didn't figure it out. God helped me. And there are other issues. There were other sin issues, other bondages where I couldn't overcome that in my own strength. God helped me overcome those things. And that's why he says in Romans 8 that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's through him that we overcome, through him that we become conquerors. So I'm never to look at what I'm up against in my own might, in my own strength. I'm always just view it through God and through his power, through what he would do. So, um, but they're going to see the enact there and it's going to mess them up. Um, another thing is, is um, it says that they, as they went through, um, they came through Hebron. Well, I'll, I'll come back to that in a little bit. So they, they went to the Valley of Eshcol. Um, they says that in verse 23, they came to the Valley of Eshcol. They cut down a branch with a cluster, one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. And they brought some of the pomegranates and figs. Now, everybody here, when it's grape season, me and my wife love some grapes, especially if you get some nice, plump, crisp. I like them when they're crunchy, when they just, just feel like the skin going to pop. You know, I don't, I don't like saggy, soggy grapes or whatever. But we like a good grape. Um, back there, you know, I, I would imagine a good cluster of grapes, you know, I can hold it in my hand. That's a good cluster of grapes. When they went to the promised land, the cluster of grapes these fellas pulled off, one cluster was so big that two grown men had to put it on a pole in between them. Now, I, don't, I wouldn't argue this, but I'm a, I would just suspect that it was Joshua and Caleb that were the two men. Um, I don't think these other 10 fellas, they didn't want to bring no fruit. They didn't want to bring, they wanted to bring, they, I don't want to encourage, they, I don't think they wanted anything to do with going back to this land. So I, that's just my guess. I think Joshua and Caleb were the guys that brought back the cluster of grapes. Doesn't matter. They brought back a cluster of grapes that was going to prove 
God said this land flow with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. Look at these pomegranates. Look at these figs. This land is the bomb. Now, what does it mean when God says the land flows with milk and honey? It means that it's a very fruitful and fertile land. Flows with milk. Where does milk come from? Milk comes from the cows. What do cows do? Cows graze grass. And so when you think about a land that's just very fruitful, you look at a land where there's just tons of grass and, and stuff for the, where, where the cows can graze. And when they graze, they eat healthy. They produce fruit. I mean, they produce milk. Sorry. So the land is flowing with milk. Honey. Where does honey come from? Honey comes from bees. What do bees do? They get nectar from the flowers, nectar from the trees. So this is a land when you looked out, you just saw, man, this thing is just, it's just lush. Everything is green. Everything is growing. Every, the produce is banging over here. When I went to Jamaica and we went out in the bush out there, I went, we went like five hours up. I wanted to go off the, we went off the tourist track. I went with my dad and we went to, I want to go see where, where like the local people that live there, like, it, they live out there. We went way out where they live. And, you know, now Jamaica's known for, you know, growing some things, you know. And the, the issue is everything grows really, really, really well out there. Everything, it's just the climate is a certain way. And so when you go up there and you go into the, the unmolested land where mankind haven't gone in with their, their, you know, tractors and messed it up. And you look for it as far as you can look. It's just lush green everything just whatever it's like you can just eat a watermelon spit the seed out and you can have a watermelon vines just start sprouting up everywhere it just looks like everything out there grows and grows and grows um so it's just very good land it's, it's fertile you know and so that's what the land is like and god said I mean, you guys could flourish in this land you guys could have cattle and cows your kids would eat you, you guys would be doing great and instead of focusing on what was there in the land they're going to focus on the wrong thing. They're going to mess. They're going to focus on the obstacles. And that's why I titled this chapter opportunity versus opposition. They, they're going to focus on the opposition instead of focusing on the opportunity. We have an opportunity to live here. Instead of looking at that, they're going to look at the opposition. This is what we got to overcome. This is what will have to be overcome for us to get there. They don't have to overcome it. God's got to do it. So, um, but they get this fruit brought back and, and it's, it's amazing. It's everything God said it would be. Uh, but that's not enough for them. Look at verses 25 to 29. It says, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them, to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him. And I'm sorry, then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. They should have stopped right there. That was it. That's all they needed to say. Let's pack up. Let's go. It truly is a land that flows with milk and honey. What God said is true. Let's go get us some good land. Let's go. But they went on from there. So this is essentially what they're saying. Everything God said is true. What God said is true. It's right. God's right. What he said was true. Everything is just the way he said it would be. And then look at verse 28. It's a big old negative. Nevertheless. And everything after that is all bad. That nevertheless means I know that what God said is true. Yes, God said it flowed milk and honey. Yes, it flowed milk and honey. Yes, them grapes are the biggest grapes I've ever seen in my life. But anyway, never mind all that. Nevertheless. And he goes into the negative. Look at verse 28. The people who dwell in the land are strong. 
The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. So they go off. And they say, it's, 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 yes, it flows of milk and honey, but we, we saw them enemies. Woo, the Anak is in there. They, they big. And everywhere we looked in the mountains, it was the Amorites, the, the Amalites, the, you know, the, all the ites up in the lands, down by the sea. Everywhere we looked at, we saw opposition. And I want you to notice that I don't know who gave the, I don't know who said about the grapes, but I want you to know how quick that went. Okay, yeah, it's true, folks, milk, honey, but they came over here and they had an essay. But you got to see the people. Oh, they so big. Oh, they so many enemies. Everywhere you look on the side, and this, you know, that's, they went and shared that. And this is what's going to happen to all the people that were already scared anyway that didn't go. They don't want to go. They're going to say, oh, no, we're not going. No way. This is so important for any leader, parent, husband, mother, uh, anybody that got somebody looking to you. Fear is contagious because you know why? Most of us already have some in our, ourselves already. Most people already are battling with their own flesh and fear. So the last thing anybody needs is a leader full of fear coming and confirming fleshly fears. You know, and so that's what happens here. The, the, the people selected to go out, come back and say, hey, all you guys are already scared. We're the leaders. We went out. And they came back and said, you got, you got every right to be afraid. Man, it's terrible. Y'all don't want to go see none of that. They, they just discourage everybody. And afterwards, nobody's going to want to go. Everybody's going to be afraid. But I want you to notice verse 30. My man, Caleb. And we'll find out as we continue, especially next week, that it's really Caleb and Joshua that have the different perspective. But notice verse 30. It says, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. And take possession for we are well for we are well able to overcome it. And I want you to notice Caleb says, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, he didn't say be quiet or shut up, but he quieted the people. He said something. He said, stop it. Stop that, that talk. Y'all talking. Cut that out. He said, we need to go right now. He said, let us go up at once for we are well able to do it. Why did he say that? Because Caleb knew that God was their help. He said, well, we, we can do this with God's help. Let's go. Forget that. Let's, we need to go right now. I want you to hear the urgency in his voice. Caleb understood we need to go now. We need to, we need to head up right now and do what God said do. Do not delay. Let us go right now. We are well able to overcome it. And look at verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. In our church government structure, um, we don't observe the congregational rule or some of your older tradition churches, they got, you got to vote for everything. You know, we want to buy a new instrument. Everybody got to meet in that church Sunday, everybody sit down and we take a vote. We, how many in favor of us buying it say I, and how many say, and, and this is what happens with that kind of structure. This is what I've learned. I, and I actually been a part of that. So there's no guarantee that everybody out here, because to be in the number, all you got to do is be part of it. There's nothing that says that they prayed, that they sought the Lord, that they care to seek the Lord. They just have a position, have a place. They're in, a, they're in the group and they get to have a pretty powerful say. If you get enough carnal people in the group, you ain't never do nothing God wants to do. 
That's what happened here, right? The majority ruled. The majority said, nah, we're not going. And so the two guys that were saying the right thing, they get overrun. They get overruled. They don't get to go. They don't, the, the two don't overrule the mass. Thanks for joining Pastor Bill on a transforming word as he teaches through the book of Numbers. As you listen to today's message, we pray that it has not only inspired you in your faith journey, but challenged you in your relationships. The book of Numbers recounts the various struggles the people of Israel faced with those outside of their camp, but also within. Surely, there are difficulties you might be facing inside your family, your church, your work setting, and the nation as a whole. But God is still here, and He's proven time and time again that He's not leaving you or abandoning you. So when you're tempted to get down and out, chin up and remember that He is faithful. The messages you've been listening to are in Ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're ever in or near the Inglewood area, you're more than welcome to join us for church. We meet at Calvary Chapel Inglewood every Sunday and Wednesday. And you can get more information on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. You can also call or text us for more information. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that's 310-245-4811. If you're looking for more resources or ways to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just look for the links on our website. Again, that's CalvaryInglewood.org. Well, that's all we have time for today. But Pastor Bill will have more to share from the book of Numbers next time on A Transforming Word. <laughs>